welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is the eighth consecutive win Wednesday in a row, even if we might be coming to you a little earlier this week because of the Thursday game. Kyler Murray said, quote, I'm not really satisfied with coming up short, and I think, Kyler, you're not going to want to use that word combination too often. And with me this week to tell us how many times he's called Tevin Coleman, Tevin Campbell, it's David Newman. Zero? Do, okay, so question number one. Do you know who Tevin Coleman or Tevin... Well, I know you know who Tevin Coleman is. Yeah. Who's Tevin Campbell? Some dude whose name sounds a little bit like Tevin Coleman. Tevin Campbell, 90s R&B star, came on the scene early on, maybe with like 13 years of age, uh, had a couple of hits, then his voice broke, fell off the map. Not by name. Yeah, yeah, I don't, don't know. Can't say that idea. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a song that I've like undoubtedly heard. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, not by name. All right. Yeah, I guess uh, 90s babies, Tevin, Tevin Campbell. I legit, when we originally signed Tevin Coleman, and still to this day now, Marcus Thompson did a great story in The Athletic about how often he actually asked Tevin Coleman, how often do you get called Tevin Campbell? Um, and <laughs> he said it was a great write-up in The Athletic, but he said that, you know, his Coleman's body just kind of shrugged and he limped over and was like, all the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real sore spot for him. Yeah. But yeah, look at it. You should listen to some uh, Tevin Campbell on the way home. I think you're, uh, you might, you might, you might father a child on the way home. Wow. Just from listening to that song. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Uh, but David, it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, yes. Of course, this is the first time you've been on the show this season where the focus of the show will not be punters and the running game. Uh, because this Arizona game was something, my friend. <laughs> It was fun. I would have refused to come on if it were anything other than than the things that we're going to talk about, because, you know, nobody got time. I was trying to find a way to make it all about the punting game. But you know what? Uh, That's not what this game is going to be about. It's going to be the 49ers escaping Arizona with a 28 to 23 win. And, And this really was a game where the team could not rely on its typical formula, because the typical formula thus far for the for the 49ers has been, well, defense plays great. The running game is is unleashed and you just need Garoppolo to make enough throws in the passing game to keep on schedule. And that's that. But this game did not go according to plan. And the 49ers had to win a little differently. Yeah, kind of all of the things that they've been relying on weren't really all that good. Like like the run game really wasn't there um d- defensively this was probably their worst game. Definitely the worst one, I think, since the, the season opener, um, you know, against Tampa Bay. And so just kind of like, yeah, overall, the things that they have been relying on to kind of win games, um, you know, through the first half of the season largely just wasn't there and they had to win in kind of a different way. And it was one that we've been waiting for them to show that they can win this way. Right. I think for for some reasons that we'll get into more, um, you know, it wasn't uh, all the way there on, on at least one side of the ball. But I think from a passing game standpoint, this was finally uh, a chance for us to see Jimmy Garoppolo have to go out and kind of win a game with just what he's doing with his arm. Now the defense gave up more points in this game than they did in their last four games combined. And usually that comes in like some opening that opening game run success that teams have normally found. And Arizona went right down the field on the opening drive and scored a touchdown. And so you're thinking, okay, we got him right where we want, <laughs> right where we want him. Um, but usually the Niners come right back and they're able to run the ball and that just didn't happen against the Arizona Cardinals. When it comes to their rushing efficiency in this game, it was one of their worst games on the ground. Entering the game, 
39.3% of their runs generated a positive EPA, which is just above league average. Uh, but against the Cardinals, that number dropped all the way down to 25.8, which was by far their lowest of the season. And you look at that number and it would be like, that's not only just kind of bad for where they've been this year, that would be the worst number across the league if that was kind of where they were at um, over the course of the full season so far. So they went from being, you know, overall very good and their numbers a little bit lowered anyway, because of the number of runs that they do have, you know, when they're kind of running out games in at the very end that where defenses are kind of loading up on it. No, you're not really looking for efficiency in those situations. Right. But even when you look at, um, you know, kind of more neutral situations there, you know, their run game from an efficiency standpoint has been just kind of a little above average and it dropped it basically all the way down to uh, what would be the bottom of the league. So it was a drastic drop off in what they've kind of come to expect from the run game this year. And that kind of, again, put things on on Garoppolo's shoulders more. You know, I think you look at what the Cardinals were doing to defend the run. And I think Weston Richburg didn't have a great game. I think apparently, for whatever reason, the Niners, when it comes to facing the interior of Cardinals defenses, just always fall apart. I mean, it happened with Daniel Kilgore. Corey Peters is still there, but he wasn't really the guy that was able to do much. Zach Kerr had a decent game. I mean, there were stretches in the second and third quarter where the interior of the 49ers offensive line was two yards in the backfield as the 49ers are trying to get their run game going. And and it was something that just consistently they tried to run into loaded boxes and heavy boxes. And the Cardinals linebackers and the the interior of their defensive line was just playing stout football. Yeah, they just didn't have a lot of space, you know. And and so I think when you, especially like 49ers run on early downs as much or more than any other team in football. And so when you end up, you know, continuing to stick with that approach, right, which I think they largely did for for the most part, still running heavy on first and second down. Um, that does kind of make things a little bit more difficult for your quarterback, right? You would like to have him have some more opportunities early on those downs to be able to set up, um, you know, either short or third down conversion opportunities or just not get to third down to begin with, right? Because you're able to be efficient in, in those early spots. But when you're getting stuffed up in the run game and, and you're kind of getting behind and down in distance a little bit, you end up in these third and long situations that it felt like they were in pretty consistently throughout the game. And then just kept going back to Garoppolo and having to make these plays to kind of bail them out. Now, the run game wasn't very effective, but neither was the coverage unit. And the coverage unit probably had their worst game of the year. I think overall going into this game, of course, the Niners defense has been the story. We've always said that this season that the team was going to go as far as the defense took them. And the defense has taken them pretty damn far so far this year. Through week eight, only 35.1 of opponents passing plays generated a positive EPA which is ridiculously low. It's very, very low. New England was at 35%. No one else was below 40. And yet Arizona was successful on over half of their passing plays. And so the, the coverage unit, and this was largely with their pass rush, not doing like anything significantly worse or playing worse than they have throughout the rest of the year. So this really did fall on the coverage unit shoulders. Definitely. You look at, at all the guys up front, right? Bosa, Ford, Buckner, all had pretty solid games up there. You know, it wasn't um, necessarily their most dominant game of the season. You know, they've had some uh, obviously pretty impressive performances so far this year from a pass rush standpoint. It wasn't you know, like the best one that they've had, but it was still very good. And I think largely in line with what we've kind of come to expect from that group, those three guys in particular at the top all had pass rush win rates. So just the amount of time they're beating the blocker in front of them, right. To be able to try to have an opportunity to get to the quarterback, 
over 20% of the time, which is a really good number. So the pass rush was there, but the success for the, the Cardinals were having offensively and especially through the pass game um, was largely because of some faults in the coverage. And it wasn't really some stuff that you would, I think, normally think of first when you're thinking of breakdowns in coverage. So why was that? Because there's obviously the one big breakdown in coverage, and that was the the long touchdown pass to Andy Isabella, who... Uh, you know, is someone that we were high on in the pre-draft process and we would have liked, uh, wouldn't have minded, I would say, for him to be a 49er. Yep. But he's explosive. He showed some speed. And quite frankly, it was just, you know, the the, the corner tried to, E-Man tried to undercut that that ball and just missed. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, he took a gamble and it did not pay off for him. High risk, high reward play for sure. And that's it didn't right. Work out. And, and then all of a sudden you've got Sherman who takes a bit of a bad angle going to the wide receiver. And then Isabella cuts back. You've got you know, war who's at a position as well. And then it's just speed and he takes it to the house, but that, that you can understand. Sometimes that happens. It doesn't happen often and hasn't so far for the Niners this year, but where else did the Niners break down in coverage that allowed Arizona to stay in the game? So the, the main area that you saw them kind of get, get screwed on was it really in the screen game. Um, I think that was kind of the big area where they just kind of struggled to defend what Arizona was doing. Kenyon Drake, um, obviously did a lot of work on the ground as well, but was a big factor in the passing game. And it was largely with these screens. And so you look at it, Kyler's kind of overall line, right? Had about 240 passing yards. Well, 90 of them came on the Isabella play and then nearly another 90 came in the screen game. So there wasn't a whole lot of just kind of like standard drop back stuff where he's picking things apart and, you know, looking to push the ball downfield. It was basically he had the one big play, and then it was a bunch of underneath stuff that, that they just happened to be out of position on. And so this is kind of when you, when you say not an area that you really think of from a coverage standpoint, because it's not as much about guys just uh, lining up against, you know, in a one on one situation and having somebody beat them on a route. Right. It's not getting beaten that way. Uh, defense in the screen game is a lot more similar to defense in the run game. And it's about fits and angles and and you want to make sure that you're getting guys at the right spot so that you're funneling the ball carrier to your help and that was something that they they very much struggled with in this game yeah and really when you think about run fits it's funny that the Niners also have some issues in the run game as well because some of that is is fit related as well but when you hear the term run fit it, it can mean a lot of things but when you're talking about the screen game really it means forcing the runner back to your help you don't want to do the thing or take the angle that lets the the runner basically get around you or get to green grass. And that's unfortunately what the Niners defense has been doing and did on a couple of screens against the Cardinals. When you look at the first screen to Kenyon Drake, because they had a couple wide receiver screens to open the game, uh, but then you get to the first screen to Drake, you've got Fred Warner who tries to slip under a blocker instead of staying to that blocker's outside shoulder. And ultimately, it means that you get a runner who can get around him super easy because the help is nowhere to be found. A little bit later, um, you see Jaquaski Tart do something very similar. And he actually successfully ducks under the, the blocker, but eventually misses the tackle. It's not until a little bit later in the game where you see Fred Warner get a really good fit where he actually stays to the outside of the blocker, forces Drake to go inside, and then everyone else's rally is able to rally and make the tackle. Defending a screen is really about pursuit angles and making sure you're playing defense as a unit. And while the 49ers defense has been very good, they they have shown a little bit of, of that inability to stay and play sound as one complete unit at times, whether it be in the run game or the screen game. Right. It's a it's a situation where, you know, you want to be you have all these guys that want to be the one to make the play, essentially. Right. And, and a lot of it comes down to 
just making sure that you're doing your job and holding your assignment, even if that means you're not going to be the guy that actually makes the tackle for the stop, right? And so some of the issues that you mentioned, you know, things like Quan Alexander trying to slip underneath blocks as opposed to take the the right shoulder that he needs to to get on the right side of the block so, so that he forces things back to his help. Things like that are are chances that you take to try to make the play, right? You're trying to be the one, okay, the blocker is expecting me. He knows I want to be on the outside of this. He knows I want to force it back inside. So he's kind of taking that angle to cut that off. If I can maybe try to slip quickly inside of him and get around him, then that's going to give me a free path to the ball carrier, right? So it's kind of, again, it's a, an, another sort of high risk, high reward play where sometimes that works out great, right? You, you get a quick win against that blocker, have a path to the ball carrying you, you, you're able to make that play for a short gain, but it's it's definitely a risk. And when you jump out of position like that, if you're not able to recover in time, it, it basically gives a sideline free. Because a lot of what you're talking about, like the, the player or the from an assignment standpoint that you're looking at for this is largely the flat defender, right? So the 49ers, again, very zone-heavy team. When they're sitting back in cover three, it's whoever has that kind of curl flat is the, the main guy that's going to be the force defender that's responsible for kind of the... He's the first line of defense to force that back inside, right? And so that could be for the 49ers, that could be a safety, somebody like Jaquaski Tart, um, who plays that role frequently. He had some issues you know, on a few plays here, can be a linebacker as well, depending on kind of the rotation they're going. So that's where you see guys like Alexander and, and Warner um, end up in that role and having to kind of force that back inside. So it kind of starts with them and everything fits off of what they're going to do back inside. And if you do it right, the runner has to kind of keep cutting back until all of a sudden you're back into all of your pursuit. So um, there was actually a play that the Tart one they mentioned where you see Alexander, he's that pursuit player, right? He's taken the angle that he's supposed to and Tart tries to jump inside and make the tackle. And then all of a sudden the runner's got a free path up the sideline, right? Whereas if Tart just stays outside of that block and does what he, he's supposed to do, Alexander's got an easy tackle that he's making for a relatively short game. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you point out that like it is people trying to do the thing that they think is good, which is make the play. But in trying to make that play as an individual, they almost rob the unit's ability to rally and make the play yep. instead. And and so it is something I think to note and something to watch. I don't think that Seattle's going to run a ton of screens uh, because, well, they, they they like to throw and they like to throw deep. But it is something to monitor when it comes to their fits and something that could be problematic for the 49ers as the year goes on. But ultimately, I mean, this wasn't every week so far has been the defense in some way, shape or form and the running game in some way, shape or form. Yeah, out. I think like the the last point just to kind of wrap that up. That's good is is right is like this is something that you should be able to coach, right? It's it, it would be far more concerning if like, oh, man, OK, they finally played an offense that that can kind of throw the ball around a little bit. And it seemed like they kind of gave up some stuff and it was all because they were just getting beat on the outside, right? Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, were just having field days on him out there. Yeah, that would be a lot more concerning. Like this is something that you should be able to coach up, get those fits figured out, like you have a little bit more discipline with what you're doing on that front and kind of get it cleaned up. And so it's hopefully something that shouldn't linger like throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. But but I think the question so far for the 49ers has been, OK, what happens when things don't go according to the script that you like to leverage on? And and that's exactly what happened against Arizona. Yep. And what happened was Jimmy Garoppolo resounded uh, responded, I should say, with probably his best game. And really the question and the second thing that we think in this game is, was this Jimmy Garoppolo's best game? Or his best game. <laughs> because he, he was absolutely lights out this game. I mean, he had a couple of just what the hell are like, I cannot believe that actually happened type throws where you're just like jaw on the floor 
wow, this is exactly why Jimmy Garoppolo was is one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, last week I asked the question whether or not we should begin to be concerned about Jimmy Garoppolo because he had made a couple of boneheaded decisions when it came to turnovers, just suboptimal plays. Yep. But he had seemed to to take a step back in that intermediate accuracy that really had defined the success of Jimmy Garoppolo. And here we go one week later, and it's like, no, you know what? I'm not going to worry. You do your thing, dude. <laughs> you do your thing. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, definitely his most impressive performance this season. You know, I think a lot of people were kind of, uh, I remember freaking out a little bit about the Pittsburgh game was like one that people were like really high on. Um, but that one to me like wasn't nearly as impressive, right? I think what we saw from him in this game was very much a return to, like you said, kind of some of the things that that we were at least banking on sticking around and being kind of consistent themes to his game. And that was, yeah, being accurate, being able to um, make the throws in the intermediate area. What we had seen from them kind of leading up to this and what was starting to get concerning, right, is like, they were throwing short a lot, which to, to a degree you can understand, right? You're missing both your tackles. You got to adjust some things with your game plan. Like, okay, you can maybe try to explain away some of that, but there were still a lot of plays where there were maybe some chances there that he could have taken or, or had some throws that he did even make and it was just missing, right? So there were, there were more misses. The accuracy wasn't quite there at that intermediate level. Well, I think last week the perfect example is the interception to Kittle, where he's got Pettis wide open. For some reason, decides to come off of Pettis and throw almost immediately to Kittle, who's just, he trusts he's going to be there. He trusts that that's his guy. And Keekly is there, and he's able to undercut yeah. the ball for an interception. I mean, that that is kind of, if you're worried about Garoppolo, the play you look at and you go, huh, I'm a little worried. Yeah, I think, I mean, those were, you know, you have like those, those just kind of random, really poor decisions, right? Which weren't really there i mean he um you know when when you look at kind of that 2017 start especially and then even the few games in 2018 it wasn't really like this horrible decision making that you really ever saw pop up right he definitely had some you know some balls that he would try to fit in or something like that that would put it in harm's way but it wasn't these like egregious decisions you know this was something that that did creep up more this year and a lot of his turnover worthy plays have been kind of like whoa what is he doing there like they they've been on the really bad end of that spectrum right but even then, there haven't been that many compared to the rest of the NFL, all told. Right. right. Like, so I think, yeah, the thing for for me, at least, was I was less concerned about those and more with just kind of the routine misses. Right. It, it's it's not taking advantage as much of those kind of routine opportunities that that he was so consistent with before. And that's what what came back, I think, in this game. And so, yeah, we just saw um, him making throws further downfield, you know, um, it, throwing to the sticks. We talked a lot, a, a little bit earlier about how kind of they ended up in, in these third and long situations quite a bit. And he was just so good on third down in this game. And it wasn't like he was, uh, which is hat was just been the case in some games where he's just kind of like dumping it off short to Kittle and say, go make something happen. Right. And t- Kittle's got to like break a tackle or two to get to the first down markers and, and convert, which still happened this game. He, oh, Kittle was, Kittle was Kittle, but Kittle, uh, Kittle's going to get his Kittle. He, he's going to do it, but, uh, busted up knee and all, whatever was going on there. But, uh, yeah, Jimmy, this was a game where he was, uh, doing a little bit more of the heavy lifting, right? He was getting guys, the ball beyond the stick. So it wasn't wholly reliant on them to make something happen to get that conversion. Yeah. It's very rare that we combine the spotlight player within the thing that we think game review area, but that's exactly what's happening this week. Cause Jimmy Garoppolo is indeed the spotlight player this week because he succeeded at the things that made him a successful quarterback way back in 2017 and in his finer moments. And I think the play that encapsulates this 
is that flag concept that he threw to Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, his processing was ridiculous. His release was amazing. And he dropped the ball into a bucket, hits Emmanuel Sanders in stride. I mean, I, I tweeted this play a little earlier today, but you think of what he's got to do in order to make this throw. He decides to throw the ball when Emmanuel Sanders is at the 30-yard line or at the 40 because they're going the other way. Uh, when he's at the 40-yard line, Emmanuel Sanders catches it at the 30. Patrick Peterson has no idea the ball's been thrown and Emmanuel Sanders is already taking a step upfield. And this is anticipation. This yep. is precision. This is putting the ball in an accurate spot in the intermediate area. And it was beautiful to watch. It's probably one of my, I mean, maybe like, two or three favorite throws that I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo make. For sure. Yeah, I think it has to be right at the top of the list as far as like best throws that he's made. And those are the things I like, think that type of throw is far more um, like show like shows his his high end throws, right? Like the type what they're going to look like, you know, as we'll talk about with Wilson, his high end throws look a little bit different, right? His are, are much further downfield. It's just a different type of throw that are, are usually the ones that you see Wilson um, completing at a high level, right? That's kind of his, when you pull up his best plays, they look different than what Jimmy Garoppolo's best plays are going to look like. And I think that type of throw where it's like that 15 to 20 yard area, great accuracy, like hitting the receiver in stride so we can continue running after the afterwards, getting into a tight spot like that is going to be what I think Garoppolo's best plays look like, you know, as, as he continues to kind of like add those passes to his repertoire and we get a larger and larger sample from him. Like that's the type of thing that I think hopefully we'll be able to look at and say, this is, is kind of his calling card, what he can do at the high end. Yeah, you look at a, a play a little bit later in the game. It was that third down uh, with about four thirty seven left in the, in the, uh, in the game. And it's third and 11 and Arizona's in cover two. And you, you think, okay, he's looking to the right. He comes off of his read to the right and he goes over to the left. What's amazing about this throw is that he, and actually I didn't even notice it until uh, I was watching the L 22 with you, David, where he's actually got to take his off arm, his non-throwing arm and actually keep it in close to his body so that he can get the ball over and, or basically get the ball around the guy who's about to hit him and is able to do that. And still while doing that, lead Sanders away from the defender's leverage and into a spot where only Sanders can get it. And like he does this in splits of a, of a second. Yeah. I, I don't understand how the dude processes and gets accurate balls out with the, the speed and accuracy that he does it. It's, it's really fucking amazing. Yeah. To me, I think like this is a much better example. Like if I want to look at a, a reason why like having a quick release or having the ability to kind of like throw from those different arm angles. Right. Which is like everybody loves to talk about now with Mahomes, especially um, like that is, is definitely very useful, right? It's less useful. Like it can be on some of the short stuff and that's, and it's fine. Like, you know, you, you get a, a blitz coming in your face and you get it out quickly to the hot read and, and it's fine, right? Like it's a, a quick short throw. Like, yes, those are plays that need to happen and, and you, you need those in your offense. But this is where I think, it can make such a huge difference for you is something like this, right? Where it's more downfield again, it's like third and 11 soft coverage, right? And you get Patrick, it's, they're not doing this against some scrub corner, right? Like there's some questionable defenders on Arizona's defense for sure. Patrick Peterson is not one of those guys. And you look at the two best throws, I think in this game were both against Patrick Peterson. And it was, he was not in necessarily bad coverage in either one. Like it, Sanders had definitely gained a step on him on that corner out there that, that was, we talked about a minute ago and this one, he's right on him. You know, he's again, they're in, in kind of zone. So he's 
keeping his outside leverage to his kind of responsibility in the zone, but he's definitely in a play to where like where that ball ends up the majority of time, like the, the just routine curl route that you see get thrown in the NFL multiple times in every single game, like what that ball looks like. Patrick Peterson has a chance to make a play on that, right? He, he maybe knocks it down, at least contests it, makes it a little bit more difficult catch. Garoppolo is able to avoid Chandler Jones right in his face, adjust that arm angle to get it around his arm. Who's trying to come down and like hit either his arm or ball, right? He's like reaching in his face to get it gets around that and then moves him to space where basically the only spot that Sanders can go and, and still have a little bit of room to operate. So I think, uh, yeah, it's those two throws. I think for me are, are right up there at the top as far as like best throws that we've seen him make. Now, ultimately, both of those throws were to one Mr. Emmanuel Sanders uh, because he's already proving that he is exactly what the 49ers needed. I mean, he had 117 yards on the day against the Cardinals. Uh, Debo Samuel had 86 yards against the Bengals. Uh, Marquise Goodwin also had 77 yards against the Bengals. But those were the two season high for wide receivers. And in two weeks, uh, you've got Sanders having 117 yards because when you look at the rest of the totals for wide receivers, over the rest of, of the games, it's just a wasteland of numbers that look a whole lot like a fullback's jersey number. <laughs> it's just like 40, 44, 42, Gross. 22. I mean, it's it's not great. It's not great. And in two weeks, Sanders is like, no, this is what wide receivers look like, buddy. It's it's amazing, man. It's such a big difference. He's he's so much fun to watch. I mean, loved like when we had to watch Broncos games, you know, this year leading up to the moment of the trade, like he was one of the only reasons. I mean, Sutton, you know, is is a pretty good yeah. player too, I think. And and they had, you know, some decent guys there. But it was like that was the only reason worth watching that offense, right? It was just hoping that Flacco could get it and even in their vicinity so they would have a chance to make a play, right? But he, I, I think Sanders is just a, a fun guy because he's exactly the type of receiver that Shanahan loves. And he fits in so well with what they do. And he can still get after it man as far as like after the catch stuff like dude his athleticism standpoint his moves are super compact and they're very explosive there was a quick route that he caught against patrick peterson and again the release is great and he catches the ball it was a short pass but what he does immediately after he catches the ball when he takes like he almost glides to the left immediately laterally to get away oh just that quick lateral step yeah Yeah, yeah, and and peterson goes like stumbling Yeah. yeah i mean it was it's just such a subtle move that gets him some extra yards after the catch against again a great defender. And I mean, Patrick Peterson was in shadow coverage. This is what teams do when you've got a a number one receiver that they want to shut down. Teams will tackle it two ways. One, they'll put the best defender on your best guy and basically try to take him out of the game. Or they'll take their best defender, put him on your second best guy, and then double cover your best guy. I don't think Emmanuel Sanders... Yeah, exactly. I don't think Sanders is to the level quite where you're going to see like bracketed coverage on one side and then, you know, your best, you step on Gilmore on someone else. But... He still was good enough to deserve shadow coverage. And Emmanuel Sanders won the day. I mean, over 100 yards, touchdown. He had three clear wins against Patrick Peterson. He's a good wide receiver. I I think um, it it makes you feel a lot better about this passing offense, knowing that you have two guys who can win those type of matchups, right? I think it was very clear from uh, Arizona's, like, game plan defensively. They basically had Patrick Peterson. Okay, you're on Emmanuel Sanders. Buda Baker. You're our only other like those are basically their two Put biggest Baker. You're our only hope. <laughs> they're the, uh, the two best playmakers like on the back end that Arizona has. Right. And you're obviously identifying the two best guys that San Francisco has in the passing game. And both 
Kittle and Sanders got the better of those matchups very consistently. Like Baker made a couple plays early on, and then it was pretty much all Kittle. From the moment that Kittle stiff-armed him fucking 10 yards into the earth, uh, it was just over Like yeah. at, at that point. And so, yeah, having now two guys who you can rely on to win these individual matchups um and because you're gonna again run into teams that are gonna be able to have they have some playmakers defensively and they're gonna man up and it's at that point like kyle shanahan wizardry kind of goes down a little bit right because a lot of what they do uh that's so successful there is if you play zone you're just gonna get murdered because they're gonna screw with all your zone rules and you're gonna end up with guys running free Uh, when you play man you can kind of eliminate some of that but you need guys that can that can cover, right? So when you go up against a team like that, that's confident and saying, "Okay, we're just going to put you on on their best guy, you on their next best guy," like you need guys that can win, or, or you're just screwed offensively. And so having now multiple players that that you feel very comfortable with and their ability to do that is is such a huge boost for this passing game. Uh, are you? I'm not surprised that Pettis is now relegated to getting uh, very few snaps. He's basically the, the third wide receiver at this point. Are, are you surprised that Goodwin was a healthy scratch at this point? Because he, I mean, he had a couple practice off, practices off because he was dealing with a personal matter, but he was a healthy scratch. He, he, part of it is because he does not play special teams. So he's got no additional value there. Whereas someone like Richie James, obviously the punt returner, you've got uh, Pettis who plays special teams, even Debo plays special teams as well, but Goodwin doesn't. So at this point, that's, I mean, all snaps have now gone from Goodwin to someone like Emmanuel Sanders, does that surprise you at all, given how good he, you know, the the time that he did show that he could produce with the 49ers and the fact that he's not a terrible wide receiver? Right. I, I don't think it's that that part's necessarily like an indictment on Goodwin. I, I think that right now this offense just isn't in a spot to be able to utilize him. Um, I, I just think. I don't know that we're ever going to get a Jimmy Garoppolo that takes deep shots down the field. Um, I just, I don't know if it's there. Like I would love to see it more. I would love to see just, just trying to hit some of these deep post shots, you know, on the play action. Like even if you're just throwing them up and they're incomplete, like, I, I don't know. I feel like you need to have that threat a little bit more. We've, we've kind of had, now I, I don't think this is the, is quite the same, but we've seen a version of an offense that has, just a bunch of guys that can win in the intermediate area, the short and intermediate area. Right. And, and kind of what defenses can start to do in, in terms of like compressing that, those areas. And then suddenly that space that you're exploiting in their zones in the middle of the field isn't really there anymore because they're, they don't care about the deep stuff, right? They just know you're not going to hit it. And so I would like to see them at least try to build that in a little bit more, but right now, Garoppolo is just not attempting them. They, they don't try to take those shots deep. And so I think, Goodwin, because of that, doesn't really have a great role like he's not. I think we saw in that one season where he kind of had to take on the lead role that he he can do some of that stuff. But I don't think he's as good at that as, you know, I mean, you're not going to have him do that over Emmanuel Sanders or some or, or Debo Samuel. Right. He's not as good at those things as those guys are. And so just with kind of the way things are going with this passing game right now, I, I do think it makes sense from that perspective. But I, I would like to see them try to utilize him more. So ultimately, our takeaways for the game, you know, Arizona tried to dress up on Halloween and play like a good team. uh, And the Niners could not rely on their typical formula because the defense couldn't really hold them down. uh, And the coverage unit had maybe their worst game of the year. But in comes Jimmy Garoppolo with the Superman cape plays his best game, uh, potentially as a 49er. And the 49ers are eventually able to escape Arizona and the desert with a win. So 
let's get to the rundown because it wasn't all roses coming out of the Arizona game because they did su- they did suffer a significant injury. But before we get to that, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. Quan Alexander, lost for the year. He tore his pectoral. I googled how do you tear a pectoral uh, about thirty <laughs> minutes ago. True. I, I'm not I'm not any smarter than I was previously. The pectoral exists. Uh, it can be torn, and that's all I know. Accurate. Uh, so all checks out. You, know, you, you come here for the facts, uh, and, and you stay for the terrible puns. Uh, so ultimately, I think it, it does suck because where Quan Alexander was playing well this year was in coverage. Uh, it wasn't always as a run defender. I think some of the run fits um, kind of fell on him a little bit. <laughs> but And he was starting to miss tackles at a higher yeah. rate over the last three or four weeks than he was in the first two, which was kind of his calling card in Tampa Bay. Yep. And that sucks. But he was the emotional leader for the defense. And he did provide some serious value in coverage, especially when it came to covering crossers. So uh, I, I could not let you come back on the show on the week where Quan Alexander tears his pack without asking whether or not you think we got value, or at least it looks like we would have gotten value if we played for the whole year right. out of the Quan Alexander signing, because we were not super happy about paying an off ball linebacker, the kind of money the Niners paid uh, Quan Alexander. And yet yeah. he seemed to have performed up to his contract so far at the very least in coverage and the defensive unit as a whole was playing remarkably good football. So did we get value or does it look like we will get value out of that Quan Alexander contract? Um, I mean, I don't know, like value. Like, like I think they, they might get what they paid for, I yeah. guess is probably the way that I would phrase it right there. Which they're is not still getting... more than we thought they would get. Sure. I, I think what we saw from him through like this first half of the season was kind of the, the high end of what I think you could expect, right? Which was a guy that uh, isn't going to be a very good run defender and, and isn't frankly like a very good tackler. And he's just always going to have some of those plays. Uh, and I think expecting those to go away completely was just never going to happen. Um, but he was a guy that had shown flashes and coverage, right? I don't think he had ever really put it together consistently for, for kind of a full year. And I think that was kind of where it broke down for, for us and, and kind of why we weren't quite as happy with that sign initially, because it's one thing if you do all that, but you're a standout in coverage, right? And you do that consistently. Great. Bring him in. Don't give a shit about your run defense, but he hadn't really shown that. And I think we were starting to kind of see that, like we did see more consistent play from him in coverage, uh, so far this year than what we probably have seen in the past. But again, it's only we only get to see eight games of it. Right. Yeah. And so who knows what that would have looked like over the second half? Like what do you like consistency again is kind of the theme, right? Is yep. it should he have been able to sustain that over the second half of the season? Like who knows? Um, and, and so right now I think it was trending positively, but it's it's definitely too early to say. Yeah. From, and for the reason I frame the question in terms of value is because I, I do think that there. I'm not against paying for people full stop. Like it's not like, Oh, you should never pay for people or should never overpay in free agency. It's all about getting what you pay for. And, and what you, what really good teams do is they find ways to get a team that is being paid like 128 million, that is actually paid like $128 million team, but to perform like you've paid $160 million for that team. Right. Right. You get outsized value from players like Matt Breida, who you're paying $650,000 this year but there are teams that would pay three or four or five million for that kind of production. Uh, and, and so that's where I think that the value discussion kind of comes in here. And I think that uh, I think you're probably right that this is they probably got what they paid for, which is way more than I thought they were going to get. And, and that's good. That means it, it, it panned out at least. 
so far. So far, yeah, um, for and, sure. And it sucks to lose him, but now it means, of course, that Dre Greenlaw is coming in at will, and Aziz Al-Shahir fills in the strong side. Now, ladies and gentlemen that are listening to the show right now, I know that this is in your ear holes, and, and you can't see us, but the moment I said Dre Greenlaw, <laughs> my, my, my best friend and co-host David uh, immediately starts shaking his head no. And David, uh, I really want to know why. <laughs> man, I just do not need more Dre Greenlaw in my life. I'm sorry. Uh, just not not a thing that I want. But he to have ran happen. 22 miles an hour on the player tracking, and that means he's one of the fastest players on the team. David, are you serious? Is yeah. that a true? That is a true statement. Plus or minus five miles an hour. Hey, look how they managed to get tracking spells uh, from Hogwarts to these players' shoulder pads <laughs> is beyond me. But I'm not here to question magic, David. Oh I'm not God. here to question the magic of how they make this happen. I just trust what the computer tells me. Sounds like they're very accurate. Um, I, I am. I am a quant and. The anything that comes from a computer screen i just trust implicitly uh yeah so i think this is the uh this is the the part that sucks right i think um it's not necessarily that quan alexander was playing so lights out um that that it's just like a devastating loss it's just that they have nothing to replace him with i think that's it like the replacement level in this case is is very low right it's um a pretty big drop off i think from from alexander to the next guy and so that part definitely sucks and and i think one thing that i probably haven't given enough credit towards in the past that i've really come to uh appreciate this season especially watching so many pass plays is just um offenses today really really key on those underneath defenders like that is the spot they want to attack teams are throwing less and less frequently to the outsides um you need guys who are smart in the middle of the field like who can recognize route concepts like who can get to some of these things because they're they're just throwing stuff at it that makes it very difficult for these underneath defenders like getting crossers from different places, the motions that get mixed in. It's a lot for these guys to be able to process and deal with. And we see every single week there is a bust on one of these type of plays with an underneath defender. I get like, what the hell just happened here? Who screwed this one up? And it's just the value in having guys who uh, can pick that stuff up, who know kind of the rules of what you're doing from a coverage standpoint, and who can get to these type of routes that teams are throwing at to attack the middle of the field uh, is just hugely valuable. And if you can't do that, you are just going to get a heavy dose of it and it's going to be a very long day. And so I think that's the part that is concerning is, is dropping off from him. Um, I almost wonder if they're going to go to more sets where they just have one linebacker on the field and they get more DBs out there. Um, especially, I mean, I don't know where's Witherspoon at right now. Like if they can start to get uh, that secondary fully healthy and, and they don't get any more injuries there and we can start to get an extra DB on the field and uh, only have Warner as the lone linebacker, I think that's going to be the, their best bet. Yeah, I don't know what the the reinforcement return rate for Witherspoon's going to be because that's actually the next story here in the rundown because the Niners are going to get some reinforcements, hopefully against Seattle. Staley looks like he is going to be a lot to be active against the, the, the Seahawks, but you've got Mike McGlinchey, Kyle Juszczyk, all slated to return. I don't think Witherspoon is on that list. Apparently, he had... Uh, minor setback in his recovery when it came from his foot sprain. And honestly, foot sprains are really, really dicey for corners um, yeah, or I, so yeah. football players. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Um, those because, you know, feet uh, ask Patrick Willis, I guess, about how feet uh, not being right <laughs> works out for your career. 
But the the unfortunate reality is that, yeah, the, the Niners don't play a lot of dime. They don't play a lot of because I thought we'd see that in the game against Arizona, but we just didn't. Um, I mean, Arizona, of course, plays with the four wide receivers and the Niners pretty much matched up in nickel uh, against yeah. those wide receivers. And Arizona, did, did they have um, come around to using less More tight personnel yeah. Yeah, than, than they were early in the season, for yeah. sure. But um, I think the, the story for me about the reinforcements is that, OK, Staley comes back. He replaces Justin School. Um, but now you've got Brunskill, who has also played well. And, and so as these tackles are looking to rotate back out and assume their spot on the bench and McGlinchey and Staley are coming back, I think it's time to kind of ask, how do the replacement tackles do? Because I think Justin School, not super high on. We were pretty, no. uh, pretty explicit about how we thought that was going to be an abject disaster. And Kyle Shanahan schemed around him to make sure to hide him as much as possible. But then you've got Brunskill and you're like, oh, this guy, I don't know. Maybe he's going to be worse than school. Right. <laughs> and yeah. What's after school is like, ah, fights at the flagpole. That's what's after school. <laughs> but but ultimately, I think the the tackles have acquitted themselves fairly well, all things considered. Yeah, I think um, Brunskill especially like was just uh Again, it was it was dicey, right? We we didn't expect a whole lot from school. He hasn't really played all that well, and so you wonder, like, oh my god, what's the next guy on the bench going to be like? If this if school was able to be the the first one off, like, what is happening with these other guys that you're going to have to go to, right? Which is is kind of natural. I mean, there's not many teams, if any, in the NFL that are like great depth at the offensive line, right? A lot of teams are struggling to field five good ones just to get out there for your starters, and so depth along the offensive line is really hard to come by. And so I think kind of falling into a guy like Brunskill is incredibly valuable. Like even if, you know, he never plays another snap the rest of the season, which I think is ideal, right? That means Staley and McGlinchey come back and are healthy and, and good to go. Um, like that's what you want to have happen. But having him uh, and, and kind of having someone you can be confident in coming off the bench and know that he's not going to get Garoppolo killed because uh, he has been, I think, much better pass protector than a run blocker like Really, when you look at over over the four games that he started during that stretch, um, he was our a top 10 graded tackle over those four weeks for us at PFF. So I, I think he's played very well in that regard. Um, it makes sense. Like he's an athletic dude. He's a converted tight end, you know, athletic in terms of tackle standards, uh, essentially. And so, um, you know, he he can move well there. And I think that showed up in the pass protection element of it. And I think that makes you feel really good. And then maybe like that's a trade piece later. Like if you, you know, got a little bit of a sample there, maybe you can flip them for somebody that needs a tackle later if you really need to. Um, or ideally you can hang on to him on a cheap contract and, and he's a, your kind of swing tackle yeah, that can come in off the bench. And, that's what I'd rather them do because at this point I think Sean Coleman is your supposed swing tackle, but who knows if Sean Coleman's actually any good. Yeah. Right? He hasn't yeah. usually been exactly. So. He was a reclamation project that you hope turned out one of those talented guys that you hope with a change of scenery is going to be, a better player than he's shown on tape so far. But you got Brunskill. The guy's shown he can actually be kind of decent in spurts. So I think if you're going to put some money in a swing tackle, why not just say, you know what? We found our dude. Maybe you flip Coleman and, and sure. you kind of go from there. That That's what I would prefer the team to do because he's only 25 years old. It's not like he's some aging vet, but he, he was found in a market inefficiency, which is another football league where he performed well. Demontre Moore falls in that same kind of area where he was performing well in the AAF and he I don't know if he's on a team now, unfortunately, but he did really, really good things in the preseason. And and Brunskill, I think, was very similar where he played and showed some flashes in the AAF. But you know what? When someone can play well in football, 
Well, that might translate, right? You think of the Brandon Browners of the world who played well in the Canadian Football League, and now, hey, they come and have a long uh, career in Seattle uh, and actually play okay. So I think the, the Niners found themselves a little bit of a diamond in the rough with, uh, with Brunskill, yep. and I hope they keep him because who the hell knows what Sean Coleman is. I'm up for sticking with what you know if that what you know is good. For uh, sure. I think getting rid of the other guy. Yeah, it gives them options, right? Which is something that they didn't have. Um, and so I think, yeah, just overall with that situation, you're you're feeling like you're in a much better spot than you were entering. The yeah. Uh, but now, of course, the Niners enter the stretch of games that I think will define their season because they host Seattle. Then they still play Arizona, Green Bay, and they travel to Baltimore and New Orleans. This five game stretch is going to be basically the playoffs before the playoffs for the 49ers. And they might lose one or a couple of these games, but the focus really should not be how many they lose, but whether how they lose them. Because if they lose a close, tight game to, let's say, Baltimore, who just beat the Patriots pretty convincing fashion, uh, you know, that's a good team. You you got nothing to complain about. You get blown out. That's a different story. Uh, And so with that in mind, let's preview the game against Seattle because it is going to be a chance for the 49ers to go up three to start the game or start the season with three division wins. Uh, they can go up a couple of wins on the Seattle Seahawks. And effectively, I think if they're able to beat the Seahawks here, effectively lock first place, at the NFC West down. Right. It would, uh, it would take a pretty big meltdown. I think um, if they kind of come out of this with a win and uh, don't end up taking the division crown, like that would be a, a pretty, things have gone terribly. Yeah. Uh, I'll put it that way. So, yeah, I, I agree. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this stretch. I think this game's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, Seattle's been playing well. Russell Wilson has been uh, insane. He's probably the MVP through the first half of the season. He's absolutely the um, MVP in my eyes. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he's been I mean, fantastic. Christian McCaffrey supporters. I'm sorry. Yeah, fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> your running back is MVP. I'm talking about the wrong damn award. The the only running back that that uh, running back truthers should support as the MVP is Lamar Jackson. Wow. Shots fired. <laughs> and I don't pretty good. That, pretty good for a running back. I don't say that because I think he's a good running back. I say that because he's a quarterback who moonlights as a running back and he's better at both. Yeah, he's a solid quarterback and he would probably be the best running back in football. Yeah, he's uh that that game's gonna be fun too for a whole different set of reasons. But um yeah, I think this one is a game that is kind of interesting from a matchup standpoint because what Seattle should do to try to win is maybe not what they will do. And then kind of how that matches up with the 49ers defense um, might entice them to continue doing things that they want to do that aren't that good. Yeah. I mean, ultimately this is a Seattle Seahawks team that is good. I mean, they, they lost to the saints, probably one of the three best teams in the NFC. uh, And they lost to the Ravens who just did what they did against the Patriots. But ultimately it's because of Russell Wilson that they do things so well and that's the one thing that Pete Carroll seems to try so hard to eliminate from games, uh, because ultimately what every team worries about when they face the Seattle Seahawks is how to contain Russell Wilson. And, and so far this year, he's having a, a bonkers year, 22 touchdowns, one interception. Um, but Seattle's probably going to get back to their familiar script. They threw a lot against Tampa Bay, yep. but they really don't like to. They like to run the ball. Why would you? They like to run the ball. They like to hand it to Chris Carson so that Chris Carson can fumble over and over and over again. And and then they like to maybe put in Rashad Penny and that's it. And and I think that's what if I'm Pete Carroll, you're probably looking at the Niners defense without Quan Alexander and salivating. And it's like, yes, please do more of that, because I do not want to see Russell Wilson throw another ridiculous deep ball and get behind the 49er secondary, which is a very real threat. 
Right. So I think you, yeah, start with that, that run defense, which is, um, under the radar, like not really good at all. Like one of the worst run defenses, the 49ers run, 49ers run defense. Yeah. And so, um, you take a team that, you know, and again, I think that one shows the importance of run defense, right? Everybody is on the 49ers having one of the, it's been them and the Patriots all year, right? The, the clear cut top two defenses, and nobody's talking about the fact that they can't stop the run because it doesn't really matter all that much, right? And so now, though, you're going against a team that really wants to run. Like, they really want to run. And uh, or you know that they're not going to really give up on that. Um, and they're going to continue just to kind of hand the ball off. And so on one hand, like, that could look like a potential, like, problem spot, right? Okay, I've got a team that runs the ball fairly well. Chris Carson's been doing all right. Obviously, they have Russell Wilson. They can mix in there with kind of the QB run game um, here and there if they want to. Uh, And you're going against a defense that can't really stop it. We just saw them kind of get eaten up by Kenyon Drake on the ground, you know, on Thursday night. Like, this could be bad. Um, But every time they hand it off to Chris Carson is a time that Russell Wilson doesn't drop back and throw it. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'd rather... as fast and as explosive as Chris Carson is, I'd rather the ball in his hands than Russell Wilson. Because when Russell Wilson has the ball in his hands, bad things happen to your defense. When you think about what Wilson does really, really well, his and his style of playing quarterback is that he takes deep shots and he throws probably the prettiest deep ball in football. But he is throwing the deep pass with a ridiculous accuracy. I mean, he's completing 46.6% of his deep attempts. They attempt almost seven per game. Now, the 49ers on the flip side are allowing only 14 deep passes, uh, 14% of those deep passes to be completed. They've only allowed four completions out of 28 deep passing attempts. So it's not something they allow often. Something is going to give at this point. And and I think, honestly, that just based on what I think happens between offenses and defenses, the offense dictates more of that than than the defense does. And so I think Russell Wilson is going to connect on a deep pass or two against the 49ers. And if you want to get four, five, seven yards instead of getting 20 or 25 please do that yeah i I think this is so from a passing game standpoint this is a much bigger test for them right because again things like we talked about with arizona and the screen game and underneath stuff you can clean some of that up i don't think it's it's really a huge concern long term but this is going to be probably one of the first times that they're yeah really the first time all season they're going to go into a game playing a quarterback who's playing incredibly well that likes to push the ball downfield. And so this is going to be really the first game or the, the biggest test that the secondary has had to face so far this season. And so uh, that's going to be, I think, a, a good marker to see kind of where they're at. How much improvement have we really seen from that group? Because, I mean, so far they've been incredible, right? With the exception of essentially this one game where they had kind of some of those slip ups uh, against Arizona, they've been mostly lights out in the secondary uh, and so getting tested there more often, because like you said, they, they you're not going to see like, oh, Seattle just saw Arizona have a lot of success with the screen game. Like, let's go to the screen game and try it out. Like, yeah. no, nobody, no team in the NFL throws screens less often than Seattle does. Like, that's just not what they do. They're going to throw it downfield. It doesn't matter how good the 49ers have been defending that stuff. Like, that's not going to deter them from doing what they feel like they do best. And they have two great weapons in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, uh, who's on the receiving end of a lot of those passes. And they're going to get tested. And, and these the secondary for the 49ers, 
Um, hopefully Sherman's amped, man. I hope he's ready to go because he's so going to see some balls come his way. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and, and I think that that's the matchup that I'll be watching. Not necessarily, uh, rich Sherman, but I do think that it's going to be Tyler Lockett versus K1 Williams as, as the thing that could have flipped this game, because you look at what Tyler Lockett's able to do. And he is, I mean, he is a legit, probably what at this point you'd put him what, top five wide receiver in the NFL. There's a lot of good receivers, but he's got to be he's got to be up there. He's yeah. he's very very good. He's he is very very good. And and you think of where he lines up, and 65 percent of Lockett's snap come out of the slot, which means he's going to be matched up against K1 Williams a lot of the time. And K1 has played well at times. And and I think that this is going to be a very very interesting matchup because I, I'm I'm I guarantee you're going to see a slot fade from Lockett at some point, and he's going to catch it on the sideline, and it's going to suck. But that is probably one of Russell Wilson's best throws. And Lockett is really quick off the line when it comes to release. And it's something that Russell Wilson throws very well. Lockett runs very well. And, and K1's going to be able to have to defend that. And, and that's what I'll be watching because Lockett is going to... I mean, Lockett just completely demolished single-handedly uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last, uh, uh, yeah. last week. And, and I was... I mean, you, you, could, you could see it coming. I started both him and Russell Wilson in Daily Fantasy. And it was great. Yay. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I mean, this kind of gets back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier when I was mentioned, you know, the, the underneath defenders and, and kind of how they all work together. And, and really, uh, I think you start building the safeties into this, like everybody's going to see a little Tyler Lockett unless the 49ers change their approach defensively and, and play lean a little bit more heavily on man coverage. Right. Which I, I would be surprised if they, I don't think, they uh, will. went that route. And so what you're going to see like Quan, right. Normally in the structure of their defense is the curl flop player. So he's going to be a guy that's going to, you know, he's going to help on the outbreaking stuff. You know, he's more pushing toward the sideline underneath um, type routes. He's not always going to necessarily follow Tyler Lockett wherever he goes, especially on some of the type of routes that he goes. So this is where I think you start to see that communication right between the the safeties, the underneath defenders, the corners, right, and being able to, to handle some of this stuff that they're going to be able to do and pass this stuff off, which is so key in zone, right? You just have to know, um, you know, we, we've seen Richard Sherman talk about it a little bit this year, like had some comments on Twitter about like recognizing route combinations and stuff like that, which uh, is just kind of the core at what you need to be able to do in a zone defense. Like you can't just get to an area, right? You can't just go and I'm going to sit in this spot and ho- hope for something to come to me. Like offenses have gotten so good at, at screwing with your rules that you need to know that like, okay, if I see this combination, this guy's got this one, you know, you, you need to have it all mapped out. So everybody's aware of what their assignment's going to be. Um, or things just get confusing. You're going to get motion that screws up those rules. Like if you don't get it communicated, right. That's how you get big bus open down the field. And, and Seattle's going to test it. Like they're, they're going to try to do some of that stuff. And so, yeah, I think the, the whole secondary needs to kind of be on the same page and have that stuff ready to go and cleaned up. Now, Andre Greenlaw's defense, one of the reasons that apparently he's moved up the depth chart for the 49ers at the linebacker spot uh, is because of his ability to, to digest and process the defense so far this year. So hopefully that speaks yeah. to his ability to be able to diagnose and recognize things on the field as well. But if you're looking for why the Niners can and should win this game, it really starts with Seattle's defense not being that great. Seattle has a very, very vulnerable defense that the 49ers offense should be able to exploit And that means that this game could go into a game script that is a bit more positive for the 49ers because Jimmy Garoppolo should have some time to throw. Seattle has the curious case of the Cassius Marsh uh, in that they've got zero pass rush whatsoever. Uh, They paid paid some money to Ziggy Ansah. They paid him $9 million for one whole year. Uh, And even that might be too much because they have 
uh, like 12 sacks in the year or something like that, I think. I don't know, man. It's not good. It, it's not good. Clowney's like the only one that's even playing decently, but just from a pure pass rush standpoint, it's ugly. Yeah, and and they don't they they blitz a little bit more than league average. So Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have some times some time to target coverage defenders that are also equally not all that great. So when you think of, the, I mean, this is the team that had to put up that had to go to overtime uh, and put up what like forty some odd points in order to beat Tampa Bay, and and so this is I think an area where the Niners can control the game on offense, and if they can do that and put their defense in positive situations, then it may not be as big of a test as we would think. And if you're looking for a reason for the Niners to be favored by six, which they currently are, that's exactly why. It's because Seattle's defense is not great. And the Niners defense, while it has some issues, has been playing quite a bit better than Seattle. Yeah, I I think, um, and, and this is just a good matchup, like, uh, for Kyle Shanahan as well. Like he's got a little bit extra time, Obviously, a defense that he's very familiar with, uh, considering that they're largely doing a lot of the same stuff that the 49ers are doing. Um, he's going to be able to get people open against this defense. There's just they just don't have the guys there. Like even even Bobby Wagner, like feel bad for the guy. He's like the one the one guy that's left there. And, and it's just been kind of I think he's trying to do too much and just hasn't been uh, quite himself this season either. And so. Yeah, it's just overall, I think, a defense that, like, they haven't been terrible by any stretch. Like, they're not one of the worst defenses in football or something like that. But they haven't been playing all that great. They're kind of just a firmly middle-of-the-pack type group. I'd say they're, like, um, bottom third. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That might be a, a little hard. But, yeah, I don't I don't hate that necessarily. It's not. It, it's nothing that you're worried about, I guess, is, is ultimately what yeah. it comes down to. And it's something that uh kyle shanahan should have a good plan for and he's gonna be able to to get guys open in the secondary and this is the type of game where pete carroll you know all week this week pete carroll's gonna be chewing his goddamn gums on <laughs> well you know we need to stop the run we need to stop the run 9-11 was an inside job and we need to stop the run that's what pete carroll's gonna be screaming about all week and and i do think that if if the niners are gonna win this game this is gonna be another game where jimmy garoppolo puts the puts the game in his shoulders I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think if the Niners are going to win, that's probably what's going to happen. I think Bobby Wagner is going to be very, very good. I think that the run game is not going to click as much as we would hope that it would. And I think Garoppolo is going to feast a little bit. And I hope that he does. And I hope that Emmanuel Sanders gets another hundred yard game and, and the Niners end up winning because if they win this game, then they've got much more breathing room. And, you know, just because they lose a, a game, maybe against New Orleans, they could even lose a game against New Orleans and Green Bay. And it would, it would suck for NFC seating, but they're still going to get to the playoffs, probably still win the NFC and and still have a, a really good path in the playoffs. Um, more than likely, I think they probably dropped the game against Baltimore. And, and that's that I'm, I'm spoiling all the week previews ahead. But yeah, why not even don't even bother tuning in now at this point? Yeah. You know, David, let's just call it. Uh, done. You're done. You're not going to be here next week. Uh, yep. We'll just do previews from here on out uh, just in the next five seconds and we'll call it a day. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be fun though. These games are going to, again, tell us a lot about where this team is, is really at. And I think, yeah, like you mentioned, it's very unlikely they're going to come out of this five game stretch going five and out. Um, it's yeah. just, it's just probably not going to happen. And if they do good team. Ooh. Yeah. Right. If they, if they do, then like, holy shit. Um, yeah. you know, this is, uh, this is, is some really good football that they're going to have to play to make that happen. Um, and, and if not, that doesn't mean that their start has been undone or that they're not a good football team. Right. I think, yeah. but we're going to get some situations. And I think, and this one is, is going to be where it starts because I, I think the defense can play well and Russell Wilson still get his, like he can still, yeah like they're just not going to shut them out. Right. They're not going to like hold them, yep. uh, hold that, that point total down super low. 
um, and make things pretty easy for the offense. And so that's where I think it's it's going to be Russell Wilson's going to get enough to put points on the board that San Francisco is going to have to kind of keep pace, right? They're, they're not going to be able to just sit on, I, I think, like a you know a huge two-score lead and hand the ball off and, and kind of do what they were doing for a large stretch of the season. Um, I would be very surprised if if that's the way this game turned out. Do you think the Niners win this game? I do. Yeah, I think uh, I think you, at home. Do you think they, they cover? Up. The line mm. currently is uh, Niners by six. No, I don't. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think they cover either. And over under is forty six and a half, which you know means that the 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 implied total for the Niners is uh, like twenty six points, basically, uh, like twenty six twenty is about yeah. where Vegas thinks this game is. Because I think you're going to get right. I think the the point total is going to be low something like that because not because the offenses are bad, but because you have two offenses who run, run the, ball. the ball a lot yeah. and, and it's just going to limit the number of plays overall in the game and you're going to have fewer chances to score. So yeah, I think something in the twenties um, makes, makes sense for both these teams unless it just like, I mean, I hope honestly that it just like completely flips and like both teams are dropping back 50 times and just letting it go. Like I, I would love it. to see Jimmy and, and Russell Wilson go at it um, would be a lot of fun, but yeah, almost certainly not going to be how things play out. Uh, but it should be a lot of fun, man. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to this game. I agree. It, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>